0: Hey, this is John Sally, and thanks for listening to the Humble Warrior Podcast. Hi, this is
1: Katie Dalebout, author of
2: the book, Let It Out, and you are listening to the Humble Warrior Podcast. Hello, my name is Don José Ruiz, co-author of The FIFA Agreement, and you're listening to Humble Warrior Podcast. Hey, it's
0: Jason Robel, the author of Eternity and you are listening to The Humble Warrior Podcast.
1: Yo, this is Tommy, tommymackyoga.com. You are listening to The Humble Warrior Podcast. Handstands, everyone.
0: Hi, this is Bob Ross. I'm a teacher of transcendental meditation, and you're listening to a great show, The Humble Warrior Podcast. This is P.J. Fleck, rowing the boat at Western Michigan football. You're listening to The Humble Warrior Podcast. Welcome to The Humble Warrior Podcast. Here are your hosts, Chris Forte and John Moises,
2: I'm John Moises, that is Chris Forte. Live brave. And you're listening to the Humble Warrior Podcast. Welcome to the show. Hello, Humble Warriors. So we're back for another episode of the Humble Warrior Podcast, episode 51. 51. Can you believe it? One week at a time. One week at a time. So this week, we've got a great guest on the show. Um... A judge. A judge. And A judge who's passionate about personal and self-development. Yeah, which I think is really important. But before we get to get that, I'd like to thank everybody for subscribing to the Humble Warrior Podcast on iTunes, following us on Twitter at The Warrior Pod, and liking the Humble Warrior Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. So this week, we've got Judge Frank shamansky on the show, and Judge Frank is a juvenile court judge in Detroit where he is responsible for hearing cases of juvenile delinquency, crime, parental neglect, and abuse. He's also the author of the book Identity Design, A Guide to Powerful and Generous Living. He has founded and sponsored a number of programs and initiatives to help others, including the Youth Deterrent Program, which is a program in which life offenders counsel at-risk youth on the consequences of crime. Uh, He's Worked with the instruction of transcendental meditation to juvenile offenders. And he's created the Michigan chapter of Guitars Not Guns, a program dedicated to offering free musical instruction and guitars to at risk youth as an alternative to violence and substance abuse. Welcome to the Humble Warrior Podcast, Judge Frank. Hello, Judge Frank.
0: Hey, how you guys doing? It's great to it's great to be here and to be counted among the humble warriors of the world.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks uh thanks for taking the time. This is uh busy time. You're 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 part of this election race that's going on.
0: Yeah, yeah, actually uh I am, you know, I think this is going to come out live uh, or, you know, the election day day before or whatever and I am running for the Michigan Supreme Court. I was nominated to uh, run for this seat, and the uh, election is coming up. It's been a lot of work, and I'm ready to... (laughs) Ready to stick a fork in this thing. <laughs> All right. It's been uh it's been kinda
1: crazy. Yeah. It has. And so, you know, we're very grateful for you, you know, taking the time today. Um sure. to talk about your background and, and what you've done. And um, you know, so thank you again. And I guess I wanted to lead off with uh, Judge Frank, is 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 what kind of cases do you hear as a juvenile court, you know, judge in Detroit?
0: All right, so the Court, uh, the way the assignments are, the way we do it in Wayne County, in our juvenile court division, I hear two types of cases. I hear juvenile delinquency cases, which is basically uh, a person committing a crime who has not reached the age of 17, and I also hear what we call neglect and abuse cases. Those are cases in which parents have neglected or abused their children in such a way that Uh, the state deems it necessary to intervene to protect and to protect, well, to protect the interests of the children. Okay.
1: And what is it like serving on the juvenile court? You must see, you must see and hear it all.
0: Yeah, I (laughs) That's very true. I mean, you you just, I mean, my staff and I always sometimes, you know, look at each other at, at lunchtime or whatever and say, you know, you just cannot make this stuff up. I mean, it's it, truth is stranger than fiction, and that shows up in the juvenile court. So there certainly are all kinds of challenges. There's all kinds of trauma that we deal with, and I liken it in a way to to being a doctor in an emergency room. I mean, a doctor is dealing with somebody's physical. Uh, pain and and trauma, and we are dealing with uh, mental and emotional and, of course, in some physical trauma too in the courtroom, and we're trying to work to get uh, everyone through whatever they have experienced and to be better and to recover and to get to the other side of whatever the experience is that brought them to court.
2: Got it. Judge Frank, you know, I find this interesting. Is it, it? Do you find it difficult to balance kind of the law and and enforcing the law with also helping people? In some cases, it seems like it could go one way or the other, or there's some gray area.
0: Well, I think you're talking about the difference between punishment and rehabilitation. In, in a sense, is that kind of what you're you're asking me about? Yeah, a little bit? yeah, yeah, yeah. So and that's one of the reasons that i am very happy to have this assignment in the juvenile court because in the juvenile court we recognize you know your brain is not fully developed when you're 15 16 years old the the research i did in connection with my book and uh, that uh, identity design you know they they say that that prefrontal cortex the basically the traffic cop in our brain that that lets, gives us insight into whether or not we should or shouldn't be doing something, that's not really fully developed until our mid-20s. So if that's the case, you know, we can't really look at a 15-year-old as just a smaller version of an adult. They, are, they don't really have an adult brain. So that being the case, that, that's why we have juvenile courts in the first place. We have juvenile courts because we recognize that, young people are still developing and they deserve some some leeway some extra chances that somebody who's who's 25 26 uh you know is is not entitled to in the same way
1: and it's interesting because your passion for personal and self-development you've now brought this to the courtroom or as part of the process with the rehabilitation of some of these juveniles
0: well, yeah, it, it, I tell people that I, I love what I do because basically I'm working, I tell people we have one conversation in my courtroom every day, and that is how are we going to make the lives of the individuals that have come to court, how are we going to make their lives better? Hmm. So that just, yeah, that, that works perfectly with the, the the concept of being able to improve Uh, every aspect of their lives and and we have a discussion and and when we talk to you know one of the first things I tell people that I have to do let's let's talk about the juvenile delinquency cases all right so I've got a young person and they've committed a crime whether it's stealing a bike or uh, armed robbery rape murder I mean I've had all of these kinds of cases It's it's a real range And the first thing that I have to do, well, of course, I have to keep the public safe. All right. So Mm -hmm. if uh, it's been a serious enough crime that we deem it appropriate, uh, we take people out of their homes, we put them in a a secure environment uh, or we, we have different levels of placement that we do depending on what level of protection we feel that the community needs and what we need to do to make sure that the individual is going to be rehabilitated and, 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 and stay where they're supposed to be. So we have that. And then we just, you know, we, we, we what I tell people is you got to start with a conversation. You gotta, you you gotta, I have to establish some level of a relationship with everybody that comes into my court. Because even if I have a a gavel and a sheriff and I can order them to placement, all those kinds of things, I think as you guys recognize, I mean, you're the, you know, this humble, the humble warrior, as you recognize, nothing really changes until the, until the way somebody thinks starts Mm. to change. Right. Right.
1: Yes. Yep.
0: Yeah. So, so that's, so, and, and, and the only, way, so I tell people I'm really more effective when I'm persuading than when I'm ordering. I mean, if it's, if it's working, all right. And of course, sometimes those orders will uh, get somebody's attention so that they will start to listen. But it's, it's a, it's a persuasion uh, effort that, that really has to take hold because somebody has got to start seeing for themselves that what they're doing is not serving them or their community. And when they start to see that, then I I see some really great personal transformations. And I know that's what you guys like to like to talk about, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And because, you know, part of life and we all go through it, we all go through obstacles and it's overcoming those obstacles. And to your point, um, you know there there has to come a point where the the individual has to change their way of thinking or make the commitment to change and you know it it's 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 something that you know f- uh, we're all different and we all come from different backgrounds but once that commitment is there to change you know it will shift in our favor and you know and the right people come in our lives to help guide us and it seems like from what i'm hearing that <laughs> You're sometimes that guide for these, these, uh, these juveniles who have been lost, have made bad decisions. And then, you know, you're, you're having the opportunity to take what you've learned. I mean, it's just already, you know, the background that you've done on, on the research of the brain and able to take that to the courtroom and at and, and least put your best foot forward, you know, to communicate to that, to, to that young uh, man or woman that listen, you know, you have the ability to change. And I think that, um, what we talk about here is spiritual fitness. Sometimes there's some practices in place that we can guide people, not only for ourselves, but also other people to take partake in, um, that help assist in that change. And I think one of the, how we got you and I got introduced was, uh, through a mutual friend of James Kahini, give a shout out to James Kahini, uh, who's my teacher in transcendental meditation and to touch on, to touch on that a little bit, um, what transcendental meditation you've seen through your experience, um, for you and these kids. So if you just maybe kind of want to elaborate on kind of what that's going on, I understand that, you know, you're working on some sort of pilot program and, and just to talk about that for a little bit.
0: Yeah. So I learned, I've been meditating what, uh, going on, going on seven years now. And for me, I mean it's I tell people it's the best thing I do for myself on a daily basis. It's it's a it's a grounding experience. It's it's a de-stressor. I mean all the things that all those research projects actually say that the these are benefits that you get you know that that you receive when you meditate on a daily basis. Yeah, those are benefits that I've experienced. I'm I'm calmer. I'm I'm uh Healthier. I mean, I, 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 just you know, I don't, I don't really get upset about much of anything anymore, and so, I, it's been a great experience for me. And so, I worked with Jim Kahaney uh, and I, when we put together a project where we taught, we did a, a pilot project where we took some kids, we we got some kids at a secure facility, and Jim taught them how to meditate. And about a week after they learned, I went up there. It was a facility that we have in Saginaw, and I went up there with Jim, and he told me, and we were driving up there together, and he said, you know, Judge Frank, he said, these kids, that's going to be powerful. These kids, you know, they have assimilated this practice very quickly. And we, we, I got up there, and he was exactly right. I mean, I usually meditate on my own. So, you know, when you meditate with others, sometimes you can have a deeper experience and I absolutely did. And these kids, I mean, they they were great. I mean, they 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 I mean, you could have heard a pin drop. I mm. mean, that's what happens when meditation when you're meditating, what happens is nothing. Nothing happens.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> right.
2: Right. Right. So,
0: yeah, yeah, so it was a great experience and we surveyed these kids after they Uh, You know, as they were completing this program, every one of these kids said that of all the counseling and the, the the therapy, the group therapy, the individual, every all the interventions that we we have these kids participate in, of everything they did, they all said that learning to meditate, learning transcendental meditation, was the most beneficial intervention they participated in, and. Three quarters of them said it wasn't just the best intervention. It was far and away the best. So that tells you, and you know It didn't cost, it doesn't cost as much as these other things that we're spending our money on. And I am working to get another pilot going because, uh, you know, well, I'm not in charge of all the rehabilitation services. I wish I was, or I wish I had a, better voice because as it is now I'm in that persuasion mode I'm still pers- working to persuade people hey let's listen to the kids if they said this stuff works better than anything else for them we should give, that some, we should give them some credit for, for, for being able to, to recognize that And I'm sure you guys agree.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And just from, you know, we've had Bob Roth on the show and Ann Purcell, an author uh, who practice, who've been practicing this for, for many, many, many years. But what's so great is now to see these studies coming out and the research behind it of working in schools and prisons, uh, what have you. And so I think it's just continuing to bring the awareness out there and um, to let people know about it and how, just how beneficial it is. And, you know, kids, if, you know, if the adults want to listen, the the children are our greatest teachers.
0: And, you know, the the thing that I see, okay, mo- so most of these kids in my courtroom, this is another issue that I've taken on is uh, the trauma that these kids experience. And the research tells us that the more traumatic and the deeper the trauma, trauma from the, the, the experiences that a young person has, the more likely they are not to finish school, to uh, to if it's a, a girl to get pregnant early, if, uh, to uh, get addicted to drugs, get involved with alcohol, you know, all the negative things that you don't want to see a young person uh, develop as problems or 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 to be associated with. All of those are things that. If you are traumatized as a young person, if you've suffered some deep emotional, physical harm or combination thereof, uh, you've been neglected by your parents. Whatever th- that level of trauma is, all of those make you more likely to have all these other problems. And transcendental meditation can be a uh, a guard or, or or can be a, a service. That can help counteract the the harmful effects of trauma, and the other thing, of course, is a stable uh, a stable relationship with a caring adult. Mm-hmm. So whether it's a you know whether it is one parent who's just really there for you, or or a grandparent, or an aunt, or an uncle, or a teacher, uh, and and I ask people all the time, I, I I ask people to recognize this, and to to see if they can't be that that inspiring that that stable influence on a young person to the extent that that they might find someone who maybe it isn't their child but it's somebody who's who's at risk like all the you know the kids that I see in my courtroom
2: That's a great point Judge Frank because I used to work as a social worker one of my first jobs out of school and I worked with at-risk boys and I found the the toughest challenge for me as a as a social worker was we do all this great work, then we'd send them back into their environment. And sometimes they didn't have that one person or that resource in the outside that they could go to Um, as a judge and, and seeing all these things, how, how are it sounds like you've got all these programs to help them get in touch with caring adults and caring mentors like the youth deterrent program and guitars, not guns. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, so the Youth Deterrent Program is a pretty exceptional program, and and we actually were, well, we're still interested in <clears throat> seeing Alan Sedgi put together a little film clip about, well, first I should tell you what it is. So we've got some uh, individuals that are serving life in prison or long-term sentences, and they they started this counseling program where kids could come in and spend uh half a day with them they do some group discussions and some small some large group and then small group discussions and they really get into the thinking of these kids and and work to get them to start being more productive and recognizing the dangers that are out there with the some of the behaviors that they participate in and the people that they associate with, they really do a phenomenal job i've attended a number of these sessions i 've watched these guys work they have an instant credibility with these kids because they picked up their offenses from coming off of the same streets where these kids are where these kids are living now so it's a very it 's a really phenomenal program. And we had Alan Sedge, uh who I met through Jim Kahaney again. And and I did a presentation one year for their annual celebration, TM celebration. And I talked about this pro- pilot that we did with Jim Kahaney. And then Alan came up to me and he said, Hey, it sounds like you're working on some good things. I'm a filmmaker. If I can ever help you, let me know. And, of course, that led to me asking him, to do a film project with these uh, gentlemen in the Youth Deterrent Program, and he did a really phenomenal three-minute clip. I use it as part of the presentations that I sometimes give on identity design because it, it it's a great example of what I call one of the big lies of identity, which is uh, that you are what you've done. You're not what you've done. That's If anything, it's a reflection of who you were, And you don't have to carry that around. That's in the rearview mirror. But a lot of us drive around like it's still in the front seat with us, you know, all these things that we've done. And these guys have, you know, they've they've recognized they made some mistakes, but they are now they're not seeing themselves as life criminals for the rest of their life. They're seeing themselves as people who can help others.
1: You know, apps, you know, this has been great. Judge Frank because you're pivoting right into what I you know what I want to dive in next uh, with you which is your book identity design and um the concept behind that because I think this could apply to all of us so um if you can just shed more light on what that is because I think you know we talked you and I talked a little bit about this um You know, we we're born into this world, and we're born into this world, and some of us are fortunate to have certain upbringings, and some are not. And I think that's where it starts when one is starting to start really look within and start asking the question, "Who am I?" and really just finding that out. So, can you kind of just kind of maybe just take us through that a little bit of uh, of your book and the concept behind it? So
0: this this concept of identity design is something that i i i was just sitting here you know year after year watching these kids some of these just you know pound their head against the wall and i and and some of these kids make a really dramatic transformation and i and i thought about well you know what's the difference how come some of these kids are able to to make that pivot and get to be really what I call, you know, I tell everybody, you know, my, my philosophy is the Lord intended all of us to be productive and powerful and generous. And when we are not living our lives that way, then we are getting in the way of that. Right. Because that's what the Lord's intention is for us. That's the way I look at it. And and so, and and of course, as, a, as I've talked about trauma here, so that's something that a lot of young people really struggle with. They can't get past you know, what has happened to them or what's, what their background has been. And so I talk about, uh, the difference between pain and suffering. If I hit you in the face right now, and I'm not going to do that, but (laughs) if I did, you would, of course, feel pain, but you wouldn't feel any pain a month from now, uh, from that, unless you choose to focus on that. And if, and if you do, then you're going to suffer. Right. Mm -hmm. You're going to you're going to have suffering as a result of that. And so I I just tell people I see so much suffering. I wrote the book as a uh, as an effort to help people get not only get past the suffering, but really it's it's and it's I know it's the same thing from talking to you that the philosophy of the humble warrior. Let's really be all we can be all we can be. And let's maximize who we are. And, and, and the, the main concept that I that I start with, the premise I start with is that if you're not happy most of the time, it's not, you know, most of us think it's because we don't have what we want, but that's not it. It's not because you don't have what you want. It's because you don't know who you are. And once we start to really get present to who we are, who we were meant to be, then what we have becomes secondary. I think about somebody like Nelson Mandela, spent 27 years in prison standing up for the principle that, you know, you you should that all men are created equal basically, right, whether you're black or white. And yet, those years in prison, he was probably richer in 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 identity mm. than anybody walking around the street. Cause he he was standing for a principal. You can't say he, he really had much in terms of material possessions. I mean, he was, it was a prisoner for those years, but in many ways, he was the richest person in the country.
1: Yeah. What we've done and what we've said on, on, on similar shows is what we, we kind of, uh, use this is like finding your purpose, but ultimately, right. but ultimately knowing you are the purpose And as a young, as a young person, you know, especially the young people you're dealing with that, wow, the environment they, you know, that they've maybe come into is, is challenging. But once they embrace really like be proud of who they are, which is hard, right? But if we could get, you know, to all of us, be proud of who we are, because that's just a makeup of who we are. And, you know, to serve, to serve in the way we need to serve our purpose so we can touch as many lives as we can. And so why I'm so inspired by your work, because the people that you're working with and these kids, first of all, they're kids, but the so much, there is so much up upside for them that when they do go through that transformation on how they can serve going forward because of the, because of where they grew up and because of the challenges that they're faced that there is so much upside and to understand what you're talking about, uh, the identity design, if we can get that, you know, to what you're saying of really getting to the core of who we are. And uh, just understand that all the stuff we've been through is serving for what we call the highest good, a purpose.
0: Sure. And, and it's about, you know, I have a friend, and you know, he always says, I always like to ask people the why. Right. And that that's what you're talking about, right? I mean, yep. you, you know, if we're not thinking about why we're, you know, we're not here to wear the, the, the best-looking gym shoes or to drive the best-looking car or live in the biggest house. That's not why we're here. Right. And yet that's how so many of us, we get caught, you know, chasing that because society is always pushing us. Every all those messages we get from from commercials or or shows or whatever the media they're always you know they're always suggesting that the more that the more objects we possess the more valuable or the more important we are and there's nothing could be further from the truth so Mm -hmm. yeah I mean you look at the great the greatest spiritual leaders in the world you know people. Jesus Christ, Buddha. I mean, these people were not built. Uh, you know, they didn't build their lives around around getting to a million dollars, for mm-hmm. sure. So, I and I, you know, I like to tell people. And you mentioned this already when you talk. I mean, you, you're you know, it's almost like you wrote a chapter of my book. I, I have to <laughs> you know, because when you talk about serving our community, serving others. You know, I like to remind people when I do, and I do presentations, I go out and, you know, I talk at colleges and churches and schools and, and, and prisons. And I tell people, you know, think about it. Who are, the mo- who are the happiest people in the world? And are they the richest? I mean, I think most of us, we, we can agree, they're not the richest. Are they the prettiest, or the most famous, or the most talented, or the strongest? Those are not that. That doesn't equate to being the happiest. The research, and again, you know, I I had ideas of what I thought was important, but then I did research and and uh, looked for things to to support what my thoughts were at the book. And the research tells us that the happiest people are those who give the most. Those who volunteer, those who help others, those are those are the happiest people. There's a great quote from from Mother Teresa. I remember, and I, I think I've got it uh, word for word. Maybe it's off a little bit, but she said, "I feel like I'm a I'm a pencil in the hand of in the hands of the Lord, writing a love letter to the world."
1: Wow, and that's nice. That, that's I
0: mean. a beautiful thought, isn't it? It is. And we all should. We all right. should see ourselves that way. Well,
1: and that's and that's the point, Judge Frank. Is we all have that, and to and to and to believe that, and that there's a peace of God in all of us, and you know, and, and to just believe in that. And you mentioned two great, you know, people that have walked this earth, Jesus and Buddha, um, you know, who obviously were walking with purpose and intent, and they were very spiritual beings. And that's going to lead me to, you know a question I like to ask all our guests because there is no right or wrong answer to it. Um, It's really to each his own, but how would you define spirituality and what does spirituality mean to you?
0: To me, spirituality is our connection to a higher power. And I'm a Christian. I mean, I choose to practice a Christian faith that doesn't mean that, you know, I think if you're a Muslim or a Buddhist or, or anything else that, that you have it wrong. I'm just, you know, that, that works for me. And, and, and I, certainly I would respect uh, that somebody who's of these other faiths can be as or more spiritual than I am. It's a connection to, to the higher power. And to me, the higher power means you, you got you have to get outside of yourself. All right, and too many of us spend too much of our time worrying about ourselves when that's not that's not where the beauty of life is. The beauty of life is when you get outside yourself, and that's why that's why what I just said a minute ago I believe is so true that the happiest people are those that that give and and volunteer and help others. So that's what spirituality is to me and and actually since we're talking about this, I, I, I gotta share with you one of my favorite uh concepts and I, I talk about this in identity design also, and when I do these presentations, there's an article, it's a cover story from Time magazine I saw of a couple of years ago, and it and the, the title was Rethinking Heaven. And I love this article because It and it had it was the cover story, it had this really cool (laughs) you know, they did get the great graphics, right? It had this picture of a guy sitting on a chair and he's up in the clouds. Okay? (laughs) And it's just a normal guy. I mean, he's got a suit on or whatever. And and the title, as I say, was Rethinking Heaven. And the concept the, the 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 core concept of the article was just this that heaven is not some pie in the sky reward in the afterlife for those of us who have lived a good life here on Earth. It's not that. This concept is that heaven is actually right here, right now, with all of the good that people do for others. And I love that concept because think of how empowering that is. That means, you you said it a second ago, you know, we all have a bit of God in us. That means that when I, you know, when I work on these programs or when I try to help some kid in the courtroom and I'm just part of a team, you know, but when I do any of those things, that means I'm actually creating a little slice of heaven. That's a beautiful way to look at the world. That's a powerful way to look at the world. And that's what I, what identity design is really all about is, is asking individuals to always be looking for the most powerful way to look at the world and your place in it. Mm. So I love that idea.
2: Wow. You know, Judge Frank, I'm really curious as to, you know, I think one, the way that you're going about helping these, these kids is phenomenal. Um, because I think it's it's kind of a hidden gift for them, because they've they've gotten themselves in the situation they're in, but they're learning something that's totally different and a different way of looking at their lives. Um, that, as we know, is a lot more beneficial longer term and a lot easier to sustain than chasing the material gifts that we're looking that a lot of us look for. Um, how do you have you found it hard to? Introduce these kinds of concepts like meditation and some of these other um, ideas to youth, and how are they accepting to it?
0: Well, for I'm not a meditation teacher. I mean, I don't I don't try to teach that per se. But you know, when we have a program and I can bring somebody in like Jim Kahaney, you know, I found these kids are were very receptive to that. Uh, at first, they didn't know what to think, but he he does a great job of explaining it. And then they, you know, they, they buy into it and, and, you know, it's really a question of uh, a, a kid has to, you know, you can bring them to the, what you can bring a horse to water, but then they got to decide to drink. Right. Mm-hmm. And generally what I find is these kids, you know, if they're, if they're being sent to placement, they're being pulled out of their homes, they're being taken away from their friends sooner or later they they, even if even if they have a lot of trouble a lot of times they have a difficult time adjusting at first but then they just you know i mean time time gets them to start thinking about hey maybe what i did has a has is a cause in why i'm here and this isn't really where i want to be so maybe I got to start doing something different. And I have a uh, concept. I have a little, when I do presentations in person, I like to use metaphors. I like to use props. I like to do different things to help people make a connection between what, you know, we know, I mean, we've been talking about different things in terms of service and, and recognizing the value of working to others. And what I like to do is have something specific that I can connect people with that. So I have something and I, I like to ask people and I'll ask you this. Okay. So think about sports. All right. Whether it's basketball, football, soccer, my son's a seven year old soccer player. Anyway, mm-hmm. what's the one thing, what does a team have to control if they want to win uh if they want to win the game, they've got to control the ball uh-huh. all right, whether it's football or basketball, you can't really win unless you control the ball so I have this I take a soccer ball and I have uh, some words that I printed off and taped across the ball, and I say it's the same thing in life, uh-huh. but it's not the football or the basketball you have to control it's The blame ball. And then what I'll do is I'll say, this is how it works. And I will say, I don't like the fact that, you know, I'm not happy with the job that I have, or I'm not happy that I didn't graduate on time or whatever. And I'm going to take this blame ball and I'm going to blame my teacher because it's their fault that I didn't graduate on time. And I throw the ball into the audience, and I say, okay, whoever caught it, okay, you know, you're the teacher. Who's controlling the the ball now? And, of course, if I throw it away, I'm not controlling it anymore. Now whoever has it is controlling it. And it's the same way when we blame people for things that show up in our lives. Because if I blame someone else, I'm I'm giving them the power to fix whatever I believe the problem is because I'm giving them the ball.
1: Right. Yes. And I, you're giving your power away.
0: You're giving your power away. And I got to tell you something. I read an article when I was researching my book, and I love it, and I cite it in my book, and it's one of my favorite concepts. And this was a business writer, and he was talking about the need. He, he put it this way. He said, take responsibility for, or blame, right? Blame gets used in a negative way because it's when things go wrong, but it's really another word for responsibility, right? So this writer said, take responsibility for blame for everything you're even remotely responsible for. And in other words, even if you know only maybe 20% of the project was your responsibility if it didn't come together the way it should have just say you know what it's my fault you know this that whatever and 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 he talked about that being not the uh not a cop out or whatever but but actually a way to assert your power and I love that concept and, and taking responsibility is, is the power move as, as this writer referred to it.
1: You know, we, uh, we did a show, uh, I think it was an anniversary show when we are, we talked about what is a humble warrior and what makes up, uh, the qualities of that. And that is probably the number one, which you just touched on is, you know, the humble warrior takes full responsibility for their lives and we don't blame anyone or any circumstance for anything because we take full responsibility for our lives. And I think the hidden power and the message is, is to really just know that we have all that power within to really create and and live the life we want. And, you know, I, I really want to end here, you know, judge Frank, this has been so informational and, and so inspirational is any general tips you can give our listeners who want to start designing their identity.
0: You know, and and I love when I go out and talk to people, uh, you know, I, t- I say, you know, we're going to talk about identity design, but we're going to talk about, we're going to spend time talking about, and, and, and the same thing with the book, your favorite topic, which is you, because there's action steps in there. There's a number of things. It's not just me talking about, Well, wow, you should do this or you should do that it's specific suggestions about little activities that an individual can do to start to become more powerful and more generous. And I'm going to give you one of my favorites, all right? And I know this is going to fit right in with the theme of what we just talked about. So when people say, well, you know, you talk about identity design and what can I really do to become more powerful and generous? And and, uh, well, there's a couple of things, actually. Uh, one is work on developing a one-sentence definition of who you are, all right, so that if an alien landed and, well, it was an alien that spoke English, and you had one sentence to tell them what's the most important thing about you, at, come up with what that would be, all right? And, and then I w- I'm going to give you a, a little activity that I call the service minute and what is the service minute? That's just, I ask people to take a minute out of their day. All right. And you know, how many minutes do we have? we got 24 hours and they're each made up a 60 minutes. Can't we all take one minute to be a better person and to do something for our community? So I ask everybody to take 60 seconds and for those 60 seconds, nothing, nothing else matters except your responsibility is to make somebody else feel good. That's it. You're not trying to get something out of it or, you know, get ahead or get known or you're not looking for anything. You are only looking to make somebody else feel good. You can do it in person. You can do it by sending somebody an email. You can do it uh a number of different ways you you can you can call somebody on the phone all right so and it works some something like this all right so chris i know you have you know founded this process of the humble the, the this this concept of the humble warrior and i know you're working to bring people together with a like-minded message and and i know that you're doing this not because you think it's gonna make you rich or whatever, and who knows, maybe it will. But you're doing this because you want the world to be a better place, because you want people to live in a powerful and generous way. I mean it's similar to what led me to wanna to write the book, Identity design. So and the fact that you're doing that and you're taking it on and you know, you're not just you're not just sitting there thinking, "Well, I'd like the world to be a better place." You're actually taking on and doing it. You're creating, as we said earlier, you're creating some, uh, uh, you know, uh, a little island of heaven on earth by by doing that. So, I hope you feel good about that, and and I hope I was successful in my little service method of making you feel good. Absolutely, so my that, brother. That's all it is. That's how it works.
1: Yeah, absolutely, brother, and. Um, I'm going to take those 60, uh, you know, 60 seconds to heart and and, and spread that message today. So thank you. And thank you for the compliment.
0: Sure, sure. No, absolutely. So, yeah. So that would be, you know, advice. And and as I say, if people want to look me up or connect with me, uh, they can go to my website, which is judgefrank.com. The book is available wherever. They're sold. If they don't have it on the shelf, they can order it. It's a, I have a publisher out in New York, and I'll be doing a book signing on November 12th at the uh, at the Barnes and Noble in Gross Point. And we're also doing a book fair for my program, Guitars Not Guns, and so uh, a chance to for people to buy something at Barnes and Noble and benefit the uh, benefit the Guitars Not Guns program. So, I, you know, I've really enjoyed this uh, exchange, and, and I look forward to, to doing something again with you guys in the future.
2: Fantastic. Thanks so much for being on the show, Judge Frank. We loved the message and everything you shared with us and our audience.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, great. Well, power on, and we will continue to create a little bit of heaven on this, on this planet, right?
1: Yeah.
2: Amen to that.
0: Amen,
2: amen. If you want to listen to future pods so you can get a piece of heaven, you can subscribe to the Humble Warrior Podcast on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at The Warrior Pod, and like the Humble Warrior Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And until next week, live brave.
0: Join us next week for the next episode of the Humble Warrior Podcast. Subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, or visit HumbleWarriorPodcast.com to listen to our past episodes.